Yes, I was excited at first. Yes, I thought they should just get a deal done. I was wrong. I was wrong. Mr. Darren McKee, thank you for joining me on my Rob at Desk podcast. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here and you're catching me at a good time and happy to settle in and have a good little chit chat. No, absolutely. So I see all the Go Devil stuff behind you. My mother-in-law went there a little bit. So uh, she's when I told her I was talking to you, she's like, oh, he's an ASU guy. Well, I'm in, I'm in my, uh, I guess I could turn things around. We, we called it the college room for my two <laughs> kids. So we have uh, my, my son devil uh, son, but we got Syracuse represented for me and my wife. That's where we met. Okay. And uh, we did have Ohio. some other things for my other son, but he, uh, he changed school. So we're in a bit of a, <laughs> a, a, a loyalty dump right now. So that happens. Fair enough. I thought I saw a Buckeye pennant in there too. Uh, a, oh yeah, I do have Ohio. Uh, oh yeah, look at that. Oh, yeah. You're right. I forgot about that. And and a little Beaver love there with uh, Oregon State. Look at that. Uh, we um, you know, it's interesting. Just real quick, my yeah. my younger son plays college baseball. Okay. And things did not work out for him at uh, UNC Northern Colorado. Unfortunately, okay. Um, uh, they have made some major changes. They got basically all the problems they had. They got rid of, but it wasn't before. It sadly drove my son away, which is a uh, bummer. And I'm I'm a big fan of everything they're doing now, and know a lot of the kids and the families up there now. So I wish nothing but the best for him. But it was a toxic situation for my son. But on the journey to find a college team, we went so many places. I mean, we went all over America, and so we we got some. I, I got a Wright State banner. Wright State. I mean, you, do you even know where Wright State even is? You know, it was. Isn't that? I know they make the NCAA tournament from time to time. They do. I'll be really impressed if you can tell me where, what major city is near Wright State. I'll be very impressed. You know what? I'm a basketball guy, so I should know this. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm just throwing it out there as a Midwest. Like I'm going to say Iowa. You're, you were on the right path. Wright State is a about the Wright brothers, Dayton, Ohio. Oh, that was my, uh, <laughs> I'm going to so, catch crap for not knowing that. I got some clients no, no, out no. there. No, no, no. You, you are not to be blamed for not knowing that at all. It's a ridiculous <laughs> thing to even know. Uh, but that's how ridiculous it was. I think we went to a baseball camp like in the first week of December in Dayton. And Wright State happened to be um, nearby Dayton. And that's when we, boy, we had a great meeting with the uh, head coach from Ohio State at the time. And yada, yada, yada. You go, you, now, now he's playing baseball for a JUCO in Northern California. And, uh, you know, he's trying to figure things out now. But 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 we have a college room, you know, a dedication to all things college. So you're just getting the very <laughs> significant ASU angle in the room right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's get we have a lot of in common, actually, DMAC. I don't know if you've realized this. Mm. So I know you work with Derek Wolf every day. Yes. But he uh replied to one of my tweets once. So Wow. I feel, I feel like we're on the same level here. I say that's close to being blood brothers right there. Right. I mean, I baited yeah. him with Kid Rock. So it, it's kind of like Yeah, I work with Derek. He knows Kid Rock, and you've listened to Ba with the Ba. Yeah. We're I mean, all, it's like that. It's just that simple. So yeah. We were texting the other night too. It was funny. So I'm laying in bed, you're texting. I'm assuming it's after a game you're at or something. And my wife looks over at me. She goes, who are you texting? I'm like, I'm like, D-Mac. She's like, it's like, what? She's like, from the fan? I'm like, yeah, D-Mac. She's like, no, really, who are you texting? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> it's a good Jake from State Farm moment. Here's kind of the secret sauce to all of that. Um, I found out years and years ago a cell phone and a phone number. Well, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm sharing state secrets or a, a Chinese weather balloon can steal my information. <laughs> but uh, not a weather balloon. I got to take it more serious. That's for sure. <laughs> but I just found that it's a phone number. And mm. like, I just give out my phone number on the air and I never respond to calls. If you call me, I will not pick it up if I don't know the number. But I have found over the years that text numbers have been cool. Yeah. And I, I have found that in general, if somebody wants to text you, they're not angry at you. I've had a couple of people over the years who want to like fight me <laughs> on my personal phone, which when you think about how ridiculous that is, because like I gave you my number, dude, like, would you call your pal and just start yelling at him via text that you don't know? Him? So if you look at my phone, there's loads of numbers oh. that are just, you know, I don't know who they are. Yeah. Um, but I always enjoy the interaction. The one thing I realize is I'm incredibly lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And the one thing I can do to connect to, to people is simply have a text back and forth. It never really goes all that long. Yeah. And the other secret sauce is when I get back from a game, an abs or a Nuggets game, you know, you're kind of juiced up. It's hard to just go like right to sleep. You know, yeah. uh, you just, I kind of need that wind down time. So if you catch me at the right moment, you're catching me on a Sunday with no football and nothing else to do. <laughs> There's no abs, uh, abs or Nuggets games. You know, I mean, I'm good to talk. No, no absolutely. And I, I appreciate that because it, it's one of those, like, I listen to you guys, like, on my drive to work when I w was commuting for work. And I knew your guys' clock on your schedule and when the longer oh, breaks fun. were. Like, I worked in radio years ago, so I listened to that stuff. Okay. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Well, listen, so man, you know, um, the only difference between me and a lot of other people who love sports is I was just relentless at it. Like I, I, it's like, it's like if you've got a band like in your basement, okay? Like when are you going to quit your job? I mean, yeah. when are you going to become a professional band? When are you going to not have another option? So really, the only difference between me and and a lot of people out there in terms of doing this for a profession that I've done is I haven't given myself any other options. And I had a deep passion for, for wanting to be on radio since I was 10 years old. And I had a hero, Charles Lockwoodera, WBCN in Boston. There was no sports talk at the time, no sports yeah. talk at all. Um, but I was always a fan of the spoken word medium and, and comedy um, and opinion. And I come from a um, Irish Catholic upbringing where we're all yelling and screaming. <laughs> we always yelled and screamed at the dinner table about things you weren't supposed to talk about, sex, politics, money, uh, religion, all that sort of stuff. And so the way I grew up, you know, um, doing what I do, this is just what I've always done. This is, this is how my family's always been. So I just didn't give myself an option. That's it. And it's amazing in life when you don't give yourself an option, you know, <laughs> and, and, and you got to be ready for it going sideways. So yeah. I've been fired seven significant times in my life. I've had to move multiple times. Um, I just so happen to have been doing the same show for 14 years. Uh, no. But that that is, that's, I mean, by a crazy wide stretch, the longest I've been anywhere. No, that's, it's an impressive run. That's for sure. I, I forget what I saw, like the average, like showtime, like for length, it's only like three or four years at a lot oh, yeah. of stations. It's not, so when you're there, you said what, 12, 14 years? I started full, I started at the fan in uh, my, 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 Second shift ever at the fan as a part-timer was 
second day draft coverage rounds four through seven um, in 2008. <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, I mean, you want to go back a little bit. <laughs> I, I was there with Ryan Clady's draft class. Oh, wow. So that, that was like my second shift ever. I became full-time on the fan in the fall of 2009. So I've been doing essentially afternoons at the fan um, since 2009 full-time. But, you know, before that, <clears throat> I had done radio for more than 20 years before that. You know, yes. I was in, I was actually doing news talk on KOA, uh, AM 760, which was a progressive talk station, Air America, okay, and yeah. 630K How. I was the only host because I was a moderate Democrat. So I was way too liberal for KOA. I yep. was way too conservative for 760. At 630, I kind of I fit kind of <laughs> right in at KHOW. I was kind of the guy. But I, I did two and a half years of just straight up uh news talk, you know, um, yeah. no no sports whatsoever. And then but sports has always been part of my life and part of the things that I've done even since I was a little kid. So it was it was kind of a natural fit. No, absolutely. I uh I did my time at talk radio. It would be like a KOA equivalent in Ohio. So I I get it when we always joke we're ang we're tar targeting the angry 40-year-old white male. If we can get them listening, that's who we're targeting. Well, when I was at KOA, I thought that was a good thing to like have another <laughs> opinion, to like mix it up a little bit. No, it's crazy. And then I was told after two and a half years, uh, no, that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you'll, so you'll appreciate this. One of my old friends in radio, he's still doing radio in Ohio. He used to fill in for uh, Mitch Album in Detroit. At okay. And it was before the uh, last election. And he went off on Biden being too old to run for president. You know, you know, all the senile stuff, all that, you know, he went on, on and on about on a week on a shift there. Most of the market was over 70 year old people that listened. Yeah. How, how, well, that's that's oh, that's funny. <laughs> so that's, never, I got to think about that one for a second, because <laughs> inherently they would probably be a little bit more conservative, but they're old. Yes. So so you're were, ripping on old people. That that puts that puts a conservative older guy in a pickle. He's a negative. So he hasn't he hasn't gotten a call back to fill in in a while. So. Know your audience. <laughs> yep. No, by, by the way, by the way, just for everybody's information, my political leanings have morphed into a eh, over the years <laughs> as I I I feel and comment comment much more passionately about the uh, the the Avalanche, uh, the the Nuggets, the Rockies, and and, and the Broncos. My, my big political stance will be is like I wish we held them as accountable as we do our coaches in the pro sports. There that's you a, go. That's and, that, a, and you know, and in all honesty, um, one one of the great things about doing sports talk, it, I I for the most part, I really don't th find it political issues. I mean, things definitely yeah. crop up. There's no oh, doubt yeah. about it. But but it's not you know it's not at the 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 core the base of, of what we do. What, what we do in terms of what I, I view my show as is I, I view it as advocating for the best interests of the fans. I think that's who I am. I think that's who I represent. Um, I am not some sort of big fancy guy at all. I've just been very lucky and maybe partly demented to think that this is what I could do for a living. That's it. There's no difference between me and anybody else who just loves sports. It's just that, you know... I just kept doing it, um, and and I'll I'll keep doing it until they tell me to stop doing it, and that'll hey that day will come sooner than later. Hey, oh, because you're a youth coach, sports as well, and I, yes, what your story reminds me a lot of where I had players that just sh kept showing up, and they got better and better and yeah. better. 
And so it was like, what with your youth coach coach background, how's that influenced your uh, talk radio or your sports talk? Wow, that's been a huge part of my life too. You know, I love baseball. Baseball is my big sport. Okay. And I really went back and forth between do I really want to do radio or seriously, do I really want to pursue a career in baseball? And, you know, you're 10, 11, 12, you know, you have big dreams. And oh, yeah. I was a pretty, you know, a, maybe slightly above average high school player. You know, definitely good enough to play at some sort of level in college. No doubt about it. <clears throat> and I was, excuse me, sorry. It's okay. I was accepted. I got re rejected by the University of North Carolina. Sorry, a, they got a good baseball program. So oh, they that would have been, they had a great broadcasting program and they had a great baseball team. That would have been a dream. I got into Boston University, Emerson, Ithaca, and Syracuse. I probably should have gone to Boston University. It was right down the street from the radio station I love, WBCN and the Fenway. But I, I was intimidated by being in a big city. I, I probably should have gone there, though. Hmm. Syracuse didn't have a baseball team. Like really? uh, Colorado didn't have one. Still doesn't. Just like oh. CU doesn't have one. Um, Ithaca was a smaller Division three school that my friends Drew Goodman and Mark Stout both went to. And Drew Goodman played baseball there. And we're roughly the same age. We could have possibly been teammates there. <laughs> And then Emerson College is a very renowned, small, but very renowned broadcasting school in Boston. And I did talk to the coach, and I definitely could have played there. But they, they played, like, fall baseball. Their schedule was in the fall. And I think it was uh, playing, uh, you know, around hobos in the Boston Commons. And, you know, it was, you know, the guy instantly said, sure, you can be on the team, which is probably a sign that it's not so great. So I had to make a choice between Syracuse broadcasting-wise because you really don't get better than what Syracuse offered. And I'll mm. make that argument against anybody and um, and pursuing baseball. And I was stupid to write off BU. I probably shouldn't have. But my point is my love for baseball never wavered, although I ultimately chose a broadcasting career. I've always been influenced by coaches. And so when my kids got to the age, I just couldn't stand them being coached in baseball by people that I just, ah, it drove me nuts. So my wife and I started a nonprofit. And for oh. four years, four years, we figured out how to, to arrange um, high-level high training, high-level competition for kids who economically wouldn't normally be able to afford that type of thing. And I won't bore you with the details. It got very complicated because we ran 17 teams over four years, winter training, uniforms, fundraising, because a lot of the kids, because of the program we set up, play for absolutely free. They travel all, all over the place. It, it, it had to do with sponsorships and, you know, financial stuff. We set up a scholarship where if you did a certain amount of community hours, you get $1,000 towards college or the military if oh, you went cool. there. Yeah, it was a great program. The only thing that I wasn't ready for were other adults. And what why it really fell apart is I had a really hard time getting other adults who were coaching the team on the same page that I was. And, and it was the it was the reason, the reason why it fell apart. So I, I've always had in the back of my mind how to revise it and, and get it going again. And, and maybe I will at some point. I love doing it. And it's been a great reward to see so many kids who were 10, 11, 12 years old now playing in college. And yeah. uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely influenced me in terms of how to develop a team. And, yeah. and you would say, like, even at a youth level, oh, what's that got to do with the professional level? Well, there's there's structure and rudiments of, of any successful organization. And I learned quite a deal because not only was I a coach, but I was an administrator. You know, I was the president of the organization. And my 
wife was our vice president. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but we, we are talking about over 200 kids over four years and 17 teams. So it became yeah. kind of a, you know, became way bigger than I'm just a dad coaching my kid's team. You know, yeah. we really were trying to do something better for other families. Um, and I could write a whole book about just that experience alone. But in terms of how it makes me view things in terms of what I do now, I get it. Ownership, coaches, you need star players. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And it was remarkable for like one of our teams that I wasn't directly coaching. Good guy, nice guy, nice head coach. But he didn't follow any of our parameters or guidelines. Oh. And his team was failing miserably. So we pulled him out of a tournament and we just had a practice. And it was stunning how many things they were doing poorly. And oh. I'm looking at the guy like, like, what happened here? And to a large degree, I feel like that's what's going on with the Broncos these days. No, I can see that. Now, I've coached high school basketball at a varsity level where you have to run the whole program all the way down through the grade school. So I can get I get the pain points you're talking about there, especially when you're dealing with probably arguably more volunteer parents. Yeah. You know, you know what? I If I were to do it again, I would actually pay the coaches. I would. I would figure out how to pay the coaches because then there would be a clearer line of like, you know, who is who in, in this scenario. Um, once you get the volunteers, it's, it's tricky. Not everybody has that luxury, yeah. you know, but, but I would do it. That's, that's how I would do it. And when my sons have played for other private clubs, that's exactly what they do, by the way, they yeah. do pay their coaches. You know, you pay for that. And the, the difference was with these private clubs who are very good and know what they're doing. You got to pay for everything. In my organization, we set things up so you could get it for free. Uh, being a varsity coach, you know, uh, now you have to deal with all sorts of school stuff. And as a high school coach, you have to deal with the, the club conflict that exists in every sport except for football. And, you know, then you have to deal with playing time. And, uh, you know, it's complicated. It's really complicated. And, and sometimes at the end of the day, you're like, is this really worth it? Oh, and, yeah. and, and the way that things were going for me, you know, it actually – there were a lot of rewards to it, but but I needed to take a break because it, it was quickly becoming not worth it. And no, I, I, I need to get back, and I hope hopefully I will. Hopefully I will and do it again to where where it's certainly worth it. No, absolutely. I went for I went back and just coached junior high basketball this year, and the fun level came way back after taking a few years off. You know, just real quick on this point, we would be a lot better off if fun was a bigger part of sports period. And oh, I'm yeah. even talking on high levels. Um, once you take the fun out of a team, and, and by fun, I don't mean losing. Like, <laughs> winning is fun. Absolutely. Being, being competitive is fun. But you, you can't, you're, you're not in the army. We're, we're not running a, a, a boot camp here. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, there's, there's some significant things, specifics I'm thinking in my mind that I would Certainly do differently, but but one thing I would always have is a lot of fun. And if you want to look at a, an amazing example of that, go look at the Savannah Banana story Absolutely. and what's happening with them. And don't tell me now. Sometimes I think it's like that they even go like a little bit too ridiculous. But but I one thousand percent the concept of just bringing fun back. And I think the more fun that you're having, the better you are. It it does change once you get to say high level high school, mm -hmm. high level college and pros. But I'm telling you, even at the pro level, 
if you're not having fun, it's it's a it's a grind, and you're probably not that successful. Well, think of it like if you're not having fun at what you do for a living, is it do you yeah. go in every day excited to get stuff done? Or you're going, oh crap, what's on today's agenda? So absolutely fun's a fun, you know, a big part of it. You'll appreciate because I know what I think a little bit of what you think about basketball. So coaching junior high basketball again. So I basically pulled our parents and coaches aside and like, hey guys, the game's changed, especially because I'm a big fan of Duke. I love defense. I love all that, you know, that that I you know style of basketball. I was at Duke's coaches clinic when Kyrie was playing for him. You know, it was but then you kind of go, no one plays defense and no one plays with their back to the basket. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> and so Dude. So I'm just like, hey, uh, and we're talking sixth, seventh graders. I'm like, okay, we got a team rule, team policy. If you're open and you're in your set, shoot. shoot the ball. <laughs> That's a great policy. It was like, shoot the ball. And they, they're looking at me like, like see, and there were kids like, you know, you know how they inbound the ball, they're by the bench. And a kid that never shoots before, I'm just like, you're going to be open when you catch that ball. You better shoot it. And they're looking That's at me great. like, and so there how, how did that work out for you? And we were like a little above over 500, but it's all developmental. We're trying to, the junior high yeah. feeds into the high school. Like it's at front range Christian. I'm like, we're just trying to get you guys better. Cause I want you guys confident in shooting. And so I remember going into our first game, we had nine practices before our first game. So about 18 hours worth of practice. I'm texting coaches that, you know, that I know I'm going, we've got about 18 hours of a uh, practice. And I think I put about 90 minutes into defense. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, uh, this drives Michael Malone nuts, by the way. Oh, and yeah. he's not wrong, obviously. But, like, even last night, they won by 20 points. Hey, they only played defense in the second and fourth quarter. That's yeah, it. Yeah. But but they're so good that that's all they need to. Now, yeah. can that win you a championship in the NBA? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But, um, oh, the skill level. Like, I think that's one of the reasons bigger players from Europe are just dominating left and right. I mean, if you're the bigger kid in sixth grade, where are you going? You're going down low, right? For whatever yeah. wacky reason. When you think about that, how dumb is that? Oh, I yeah. mean, you have the best shooters in the NBA who are 6'9", 6'10". Why are you taking a kid who's 4'9", just because he's the tallest 4'9 kid, yep. and sticking him under the basket? That's the kid who should be shooting from the outside. No one's going to stop anybody. him. No, you no. know, I mean, shoot the ball, have some fun. Oh. And, you know, play defense eventually, I guess. Well, I, so once again, being a big Duke fan, this hurt me. But I remember a post game after with a North, a North Carolina game with Roy Williams. And, those, you know, the sideline reporter person goes, hey, coach, are you concerned that you guys gave up 80 points today? He goes, well, we scored 81. And I think you only got to win by one. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this one? The Nuggets right now are 25 and one. Uh, if they've scored at least 120 points this year, right? Yeah. And so, like, I'm just at a game. All right, so, like, last night's a great example. Okay. I think the Nuggets were up 10 points with, like, nine and a half to go when Jokic is coming back in the game. And they're clearly going to cruise to 120 points. I think they had, like, 105 or something at the time. And I'm, I'm just like, well, this game's over. Yeah. I mean, this, this game is literally over. There is no way you're going to outscore the Nuggets with nine minutes to go by 11 points it's not it's just not gonna happen yep. and and that has been the case for the nuggets this year but they're they have amazing talent incredible depth they've they've done things the right way you know they got lucky let's let's face it they got smart lucky meaning they evaluated Jokic, and then they got lucky that he turned into who he turned into and he really hasn't turned into what he is until he took a serious approach 
to his diet and exercise to transform his body, which, which, he's, which he's done. And that's made the most significant difference to the superstar level. He was always going to be good, yeah. okay? But to the superstar level, he's at. And so you have a team that did things the, the hard way, the right way. Constant good leadership up top from ownership. Um, solid GM, Tim Conley, who's moved on. Callum Booth is great. Michael Malone's been there for a long time. And they they figured out their core of their team. And they've now they're and now they're healthy. So now mm-hmm. they are where they are. Avalanche, almost the same thing. When Bednar um, you know, took them over, they had a 48-point season, but they didn't give up on Bednar. He had won championships at two different levels in the minors. So, okay, let's hang in there. Mm-hmm. And who do we believe in? Well, we believe in McKinnon and we believe in Landis Scott. And, hey, listen, we're, we got our eyes on, you know, eventually Kale McCarr, right? And, yep. and you, you believe in what you're doing and the core principles. Now, that doesn't mean you don't make changes. Both these teams have made changes. But having strong leadership up top, good, solid GM, coach, and a core of superstars to build around, that's what you do. And look what the Broncos have done. Leadership at the top has been a mess. Let's just be yeah. honest. And we have an ownership group now that really honestly doesn't know what they're doing. I'm still trying to figure out why they wanted to buy the Broncos in the first place. Total mess in terms of coaches, right, for the past seven years. Oh, yeah. And um, desperation beyond desperation to give up the house for Russell Wilson, like what it took to get him. And now what it took to get a coach to coach him. You had to give up another draft pick and pay him like, who knows, like 20 million per. I mean, the Broncos have been looking for shortcuts this entire time. And I am a little disappointed that Greg Penner comes in as the owner and it looks like he's just looking for another shortcut. It, it, I, I don't think it's really hit Greg Penner yet that you got to do some hard work if you want to really build things up. The Broncos are still looking for a light switch and I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. Everybody seems to be all pumped up. It was all Nathaniel Hackett's fault, but I'm telling you, it wasn't. I mean, he was a problem, no doubt about it. But he's probably the fourth biggest problem. Russ and his contract, George Payton, injuries, and then Nathaniel Hackett. If not, how did Hackett get a job so easily with the Jets if he's really such an ignoramus? Right. All right, so let's get to the big question I invited you on here for. Did the Broncos pay too much for Sean Payton and Russell Wilson to get, as you were just talking about, like the top four pieces in an organization, you have what, ownership, GM? Ownership, GM, coach, quarterback. Yep. And so for the, they got the ownership, what, eight months ago? Yeah, roughly. About eight months ago. You can argue the GM. That's, I would call too early to tell, but there's a lot of moves you can argue going, ugh. There, so, hey, there's enough moves for me. But if you need a little <laughs> more time, have at it. All right. And then you got the, you know, so then they've just overpaid for Russell Wilson. In hindsight, though, the cost to get Russell Wilson to the Broncos with what you know today is different than what you knew before they a year ago when they about a year ago when they made the move. Were you happy when it, to get Russell Wilson on the roster originally? It's uh, the short answer is yes, mm-hmm. and the second short answer was I was wrong, and uh, then there are no more other short answers; they're all long answers. So I'm happy to happy to go down that path any way you want. Uh, do you think Russell Wilson has a chance of top tier might be out of the range, but just say a quality NFL quarterback again? I think Russell Wilson could. Um, What's his ceiling? Uh, What's his ceiling? You hope Russell Wilson can be like Brock Purdy. You, you hope. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, wow. you hope that 
you hope that he can manage things effectively and that uh, the other elements of the team can sort of rise up. Uh, you hope, uh, to be more optimistic, you hope Russell Wilson can be Jalen Hurts. Yeah. No, I guess an, 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 not an elite quarterback, but somebody within the right system who can manage things really well. The problem is we just have not seen a rebound from quarterbacks in their mid-30s who have bounced significantly back from a really, really poor year. There's just really no, especially um, quarterbacks who are, are inherently are not pocket passers, okay? Where, yeah. you know, it, it, you don't have to be a running quarterback, but you have to have the ability to move around, uh, keep plays going, and then pick up, you know, um, a third down every now and then. I compare it to Jokic and three-pointers. Like, Jokic's game isn't three-pointers, but you need Jokic to shoot three or four three-pointers a game, whether he makes them or not, because it just keeps the defense honest. Absolutely. Because, it, like, uh, trust me, if DeAndre Jordan went out for a three-pointer, you could have a picnic around him. I mean, yeah. no one is going to go out to cover him. But Jokic is good enough that it opens things up, and you have to be aware of it. Russell has to be able to move enough that you have to respect it. He doesn't have to do it all the time. And that's kind of like, you wouldn't call Patrick Mahomes a running quarterback, but you would certainly call him a mobile quarterback who sees the field well. One of the most shocking things about Russell Wilson this year was he it was the revelation that he wasn't seeing the field very well. Yeah. And that's what I did not realize before he came here. So to go back to your original question, hey, man, I thought he was going to be great. I really yeah. did. You know, and I was like, well, forget it. I mean, we don't have a better choice. I mean, we got Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater's contracts expiring. You're telling me for a couple of first-round draft picks, a couple seconds, Noah Fan, Shelby Harris, Drew Locke, Ah, whatever. But now you look back on that, and it's it's like ridiculous what you just gave up. And then you get a first-round pick back because you dumped Bradley Chubb. Remember when he was going to yeah. be the future? You dumped him, and now you have to use that to get a coach. Uh, what? I mean, you know, even if you hated Hackett, every other coach available you could have got without giving up a first-round pick, except for Sean Payton. But he became your third choice. He was third choice, and you had to give up more baggage. So, yes, I was excited at first. Yes, I thought they should just get a deal done. I was wrong. I was wrong. Russ had two years left on his deal. The Broncos absolutely positively, before offering him a new contract, should have been a little bit careful and just seen how the year was to go. It is a bummer. I was wrong about it. I said, whoop-de-doo. I'm glad you got the deal done. I was wrong. Big mistake. So then, so you, overall, like we're getting the two biggest pieces. What are your chances, you think, then, of Sean Payton helping recover uh, Russell Wilson's uh, quarterback career? It's a good question. The answer is you shouldn't worry about Russell Wilson's quarterback career. Okay. That's the honest truth. Russell Wilson's, like I just said, you got to get him up to Brock Purdy level. Okay. Yep. So if you want the team to succeed, you can't worry about fixing Russ. That's the actual truth. It's really not about fixing Russ. You're never going to fix him. You're, you're not going to, unless you're going to invite, uh, invent a time machine and, and go back in time, you know, and, and <laughs> I'll tell you, Take a look at Russell Wilson's body, physical body, 
at the combine and take a peek at it now. I mean, I'm telling you, he was a different dude, as we all were when we were in our, our young 20s compared to 14 years later, right? Yeah. I mean, all of us have seen our prime come and go. So, listen, I'm not bagging on Russ necessarily. I mean, he would be the fifth best fit guy at the campus middle school <laughs> drop-off zone because there's always four guys in Colorado that are, you oh, know, yeah. there's That's always the four guys that just work out harder than you. They're they're crazy with it. But he'd be fifth best. But the problem is, dude, he plays with the Avengers. He plays with superheroes. He plays with guys that are absolutely positively in their prime. So it's nice that we have fond memories of the past, but at 5'10 or whatever, you know, you, you, you just can't slack on any of that stuff. And he did. And um, and so can he fix Russ? I don't think that's the issue. I think you got to manage him and you got to worry about the team first. And and but that's a, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Everybody's gonna be focused on it because everybody's gonna see that as the answer. I don't. I don't. I think Russ could be very successful as a starting quarterback for the Broncos with very mediocre numbers, as long as they're the right numbers. You know, not turning the ball over, converting third downs, being effective in the red zone. And frankly, however those numbers hash out, if you can do those three big things, it doesn't really matter how many yards you throw for. You want more touchdowns and interceptions for sure. But don't forget Peyton Manning in 2015 when he led the Broncos to the Super Bowl had statistically his worst year ever. But but he had total buy-in, and that wasn't easy because Gary Kubiak wanted to change a lot of things. And Manning sat on the sidelines injured for a while. In order to come back, in order to play, he had to buy into what they were doing, and it netted him a Super Bowl. But look at Peyton Manning's numbers in his last year. It was bad. They were not good. Look at his numbers in the playoffs and even the Super Bowl. Not that impressive. Threw, he threw two interceptions in the Super Bowl, and they still won relatively easily. Russell Wilson, if he wants to go out on top, he has to go out on top willing to sacrifice personal success for the betterment of the team. And he wasn't willing to do that last year. Do you think Sean Payton can put him in a place to succeed? Theoretically, yes. I mean, theoretically, that should be a no-brainer. Right. Um, all right, let me That's really the quick. coach's job, right? Yeah, let me give you a quick, a very quick one. Quick story. Yeah. Uh, go back to my coaching clinic. And I was at a, uh, this, is, this is a Little League, a Little League coaching clinic. So we're talking about coach a 9, 10, 11-year-old. Yep. So I, I, this guy is out there, and uh, he's like, well, you know, here's here's how I coach my kids. And, you know, we, we do all these things, and we just do things the right way. And as long as we do things the right way, you know, eventually it clicks on. And sure enough, we start slow. We get better and better and better. And every team I've always coached makes it to the championship. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, great. We go, well, what happens when you get to the championship? He goes, oh, we always lose to a better team. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> that mimicked my junior high coaching year one year. <laughs> well, right. Because at the end of the day, talent is talent. Right. <laughs> right. You you can get there. You can be competitive. But if, if, if you just don't have the best talent. Oh, yeah. Then, then you're you're I mean, you're going to lose. You can be the greatest junior high middle school coach of all time. If they've got a, a Timmy three pointer, you know, <laughs> Ridge Valley Middle School who for, for some unknown reason can just bomb away, you know, you can do everything. And, you know, 
Timmy, Timmy three pointers going to hit, you'll go for 30. <laughs> you're going to lose by 10, even if you do great. Oh yeah. No, I coached the junior high team in Lakewood and rec. They do like a rec junior high. They don't even have like official junior high in Lakewood out here. And this, these kids, they didn't know how to play basketball. Well, and I threw, I put them, I, they didn't know how to play a man. They played two, three, like they were standing around. Like the, like a, I always joke, like a dad taught them, like, you know, how to play yeah. a two, three zone. They played man. Like everyone has had $20 hanging out of their back pocket. And <laughs> so I go, okay, let's throw in a one, three, one. Cause it's like in junior high against rec coaches, it's like a junk defense. No one knew how to do anything about it. Yeah. So all of a sudden we go eight. No, we go to the championship game and we play a team that actually knew how to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so, so can, can Ruskin, yeah, Ruskin get better. Can you win more games? Sure, of course you can. I mean, you know, you lost a bunch by very close scores last year. But at the end of the day, is that what it's all about? And then you look at the AFC. I mean, dude, it's murderer's row for young quarterbacks. It's the Avengers, dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is the Avengers. It is Burrow, Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Tua Tungabailoa, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert. I mean, uh, even Kenny Pickett seems to have a bright future. Yeah. I mean, I just listed off like eight, nine quarterbacks right there that you're going to have to be better than as a middle-aged quarterback or or long in the tooth, depending on how many years you have left in your career. You know, sports for everybody ends at an age, but it's different for everybody. Yep. So it's, it's, it's probably pretty remarkable Russell Wilson has done as well as he had. Yep. But everybody who thinks he's just on the cusp of a resurgence, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, are you, are you positive? Or, or could this be part of the decline? And when we see quarterbacks go on a decline, Peyton Manning was the MVP quality quarterback in 12 and 13. In 14, he got hurt. And in 15, he was really hurt. And his performance fell off a cliff. And then he was done. Different players, you know, they just operate differently. And it ends for everybody at some point. It's just that we're not sure when the end was. The end for me was when I was, you know, 17 years old and a senior in high school because I realized. I should be really, really, really good, uh, aside from just okay at that age. And I, I still don't even know if I'm really, really good in broadcasting, <laughs> but I've been faking it for 34 years. You keep showing up, and that's part of the – I keep showing up. I keep showing up. So, But, hey, don't forget, don't forget, in my life, I've been fired seven significant times. Seven yeah. significant times being told, we don't need you. You're not the right guy. We can do better. You know, seven pretty significant times in my life that's happened. So, um, so I don't know. You have to have a certain amount of resilience. But oh, at yeah. the end of the day, it's the end of the day. Absolutely. Do you think Russell Wilson just learned bad habits with when he's playing with guys like DK Metcalf, where he's just throwing the ball up to guys, where aren't we just didn't have the Broncos didn't have the guys that could do that? Uh, I think Russell Wilson wanted to be wanted to enhance his Hall of Fame status, and he knew he would have to throw for a lot more touchdowns, um, and he felt suffocated from uh, by Pete Carroll's system. Um, there was an article written during training camp, and they tracked that the Seahawks were looking to move Russell as early as 2017. Oh, I remember you guys talking, yeah. Yeah, and and if you read the depth of that article, I mean, they just couldn't get value for him, and they, they really didn't have better options. But seriously, with two years left on his contract with a possible Hall of Fame career, why exactly did the Seahawks want to move on from Russell Wilson. And at first we thought they were stupid. And then they made the playoffs and Geno Smith had, yeah, how did he do that? You know, how did that happen? Right. And so it looks like egg is on our face on that particular deal. 
All right. So they paid too much for Russell, arguably yeah. too much for Peyton. Okay. The next big question I have for you is there, ever, when I'll say ever, put me, we'll put a year on it. How many years before a new stadium for the Denver Broncos? Never. I will say, I will say never. Never. I will say never. They're going to sink $100 million of improvements into this stadium right now. Okay. They're going to double the height of the Jumbotron okay. and all the LED screens and everything around the stadium. They have, I know this for a fact, they have looked into putting a roof on the current stadium. Um, $100 million obviously sounds like a lot because it is. Mm-hmm. But it is a pebble in the in the water compared to $5 billion like what SoFi Stadium cost yeah. that uh, Cousin Stan Kroenke built in Southern California. Because if you if you want to build a new stadium, you can't just get away with a new stadium. you you got to build everything else. Uh, hotels and restaurants and commerce, transportation, uh, public transportation. You know, now, now, now it's a real job. I don't care how much money you have. If you are doing that type of work, you have entered into a real nine to five, uh, probably seven days a week. Because now think about everything else you got to oversee. Architecture, design, construction, uh, financing, because you're you're not going to use all your own money. So you got to do some sort of stuff. It, it's the way to go. It's what should happen. But I, I, I three separate times, uh, Greg Penner was asked about a new stadium after he took over. And three separate times, including one question for me, referred to, well, we have eight years left on this lease. And then if you look at the stadium improvements they're doing right now, you can see what this new ownership group is doing. I call it Welcome to Wrexham, which is a great (laughs) documentary series with Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, who bought a fifth tier. Who knew there were five tiers of soccer in uh, the United Kingdom, but bought a fifth tier soccer team to build them back up. It was a vanity project. It was bored millionaires looking for uh, a real-life Ted Lasso experience. And the citizens of of Wrexham were thrilled because their team was just abysmal. So what did they do? If you watch the documentary, you'll see. They just threw money at all of the problems. They were like, we need a coach. We can't afford that guy. Now we can. We need a great player. We can't afford him. Now we have Super Paul Mullins. Now we have Ollie Palmer. The stands are falling down at the race course. Oh, now we're going to build them back up. And in three years' time, they're in the third year of owning it, they're second on the table, the standings, out of about 24 teams. And they look very good to get promoted into a higher division. That's how it works in soccer. Mm -hmm. You go up, you go down, or you stay the same. It's pretty cool. We don't do that in America, but that's how they do it in soccer. So they're looking to get promoted. Well, these guys don't know anything about (laughs) soccer. It was a complete vanity project because it looked cool. And then if you watch the documentary, you can see it's like, geez, what did we get ourselves into? Mm-hmm. Becomes this purple month pit. The Broncos are welcome to wreck sometimes a thousand. Because if you want to get into the money pit, we're not just building, you know, 5,000 new stands at the old race course. We're building a $5 billion stadium. So you ask me if it's ever going to happen or, or when it's going to happen. And I'd simply say never because I'm unconvinced the Walton Penner group is treating the Broncos anything but a toy. I think it is to them, it's a vanity project to get in the most exclusive club in America. And if it wasn't, they would have taken things much more seriously in terms of owning a team. For example, Tepper, who owns the Carolina Panthers, bought 10% of the Pittsburgh Steelers 
because he wanted to work his way. He's the second richest owner, by the way, mm -hmm. in the NFL. He's got more money than Kroenke, believe it or not. And he's the second richest owner. And he was willing to do the work. Everybody has said, oh, you don't want us to be Jerry Jones. I'm like, there's got to be a middle ground because between knowing nothing and being a narcissistic a-hole like Jerry Jones. <laughs> there's got to be a middle ground, like whatever you do. When you coach junior high basketball for the first time, I bet you you played basketball. I bet you might have assistant coached somewhere else. Oh, yeah. Or you coached at a different level and then came to a higher level. I bet you anything you did that. Most people did that. Yeah. Like I, my first coaching was assistant for a junior high program and then, you know, moved up and down the rankings, if you want to call it from there. So here's, here's what I'll throw at you where I think there's a chance. I'm okay, not saying, talk. okay. So I was just doing like SoFi is probably the coolest new stadium of recent times. Hey, for the, the record, you want a new stadium. I'm, 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 I'm getting that from the line of questions. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, everybody Me too, wants, by the way. Me yeah, too. yeah. I think everybody wants the stadium. It's, I think there's always the, the logistic questions like of where do we want it? I'm not trying to answer those questions, but like the t a serious timeline. Cause I'm like, well, like I worked in building projects, you know, in years past for, you know, big railroads and stuff like that. So it's like, there's timelines. You go, what's it look like to do this? And so just doing some backwards math, you go, okay, well, Kroenke bought the land for SoFi at the end of January, 2014. Yeah. They didn't break ground for about, two and a half, three years after that. Yeah. And then it took them, was it about three years, three, four years to build. And there was a, they had a, a rain delay there that took that delayed them about a year that, you know, could you plan for that? Maybe because it's such a long project, there's going to be delays. Okay. Maybe. So you're going from buying the land to opening was about six, seven years. So you're going, if they have eight years left on the lease, do you think they have their minions somewhere going, Hey, we got to figure this out. Cause if we want to start, we got to start buying it. Like, cause if they said, Hey, yeah, we want to buy a new stadium. Right. Anywhere right. where there's oh, you're, making, you're, you're, you're making great points. You're, 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 you're basically saying if you even want a new stadium by the end of the lease, you got to get to work basically now. You got to at least have an idea of where you want land. Cause if you say, Hey, we want to do it out by out in Brighton yeah. by the airport, guess what? All those farmlands are going to go. They're going, oh, yeah. someone's calling for my land. Guess guess who's calling? Yeah, if we're smart, we actually will. That's that's a great point by you. We we will track land purchased by the Walton Penner Group to see see if they're serious about it. Hey, if they start buying land up, okay, fine. You know, you got me. Um, I just I just don't know why. See, I'm I'm still confused why they wanted to buy the team in the first place. I've 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 been and, and this is why I was so frustrated um recently. That, you know, you sign Sean Payton, but yet, you know, Greg Penner's out playing golf at Pebble Beach. And a lot of people, trust me, most are saying, oh, DMAC, lighten up. You know, the deal was done. It's done by lawyers. It's done by this, done by that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But I mean, at least ceremoniously, wouldn't you have liked to have seen Greg Penner, who was in charge of the search, who is supposed to rebuild the attitude? All we hear about is how we have to redo the attitude and, you know, a culture shift, right? All we hear about is culture shift. But what I saw for a culture shift is I'd rather be playing golf than worry about the little details. And there was a cloak and dagger. Sean Payton's like in the building for two days, but we're not supposed to know about it. Why? Why was that such a big secret? It was a big secret because the optics didn't look good. Okay. And, you know, and, and you know, who knows? Listen, the deal wasn't exactly signed. I have no, no, no doubts that it was going to be. But let's just back up for a second. Can you imagine the message it would have sent 
had Greg Penner skipped fun time in golf land at Pebble Beach, even if it's symbolic, and was there the day that Sean Payton signed the deal, and then we would have had the welcome Sean Payton moment at Dove Valley at UC Health Training Center on like Friday night. How cool would that have been? On a Friday mm -hmm. night, it would have been like a big, huge party, and the next week is the Super Bowl. Instead, we hear these messages of accountability, and good, you got it done. You welcome to Wrexham Dip moment. You just threw a ton of money at the problem. But you wouldn't play golf, man. Well, see, so, I think here's here's where I think you're getting it wrong on that. I don't I get the symbolism. I'm more one of those symbolism over substance. Just get the job done. I don't care how you get the job done. You got it done. Eh, okay. So here's where I think you're getting it wrong. You see it as like, you know, I went on a on it. What's the difference between that and me going on a long bike ride instead of working on a Thursday afternoon? You're like, he's having fun. He's work, you know, it's like, no, he's golfing. People in his class, when they golf, they're networking. It's work for him to a point. And so follow with me on this. What's I'm what's his, what's what's his, what what did he do before the Broncos? Was he he has a it's a venture capital group. Uh venture capital was running Walmart, still is. Yeah, he's on the board for that, but he's, it's like I forget, I don't know how you pronounce it, like Madrone Capital Partners is what his organization they've like they've invested in Strava and some other companies we probably both know of. But you kind of go, he's out there, and it's for him, it's probably networking event. For us, it's going to a luncheon at, you know, the Aurora City Chamber of Commerce because that's, you know, different classes of how they do things out there. You know, he's in these, like you said it before on your show a number of times, like they're in a different stratosphere. They live in the world. They don't, yeah. you know, they're it's not, not yeah, they're, they, they don't, they're not going to the Chamber of Commerce meetings that sort of network to see who else does, you know, how they can, you know, grow their business. So, I see it as he's going out there and it's probably more of a work event more than, Hey, I got to run the Broncos today. And like, if you look what he does, it's like, what does he love? He's a CFO. He loves numbers. He's a financial guy. That's his back background. If you just look, you know, what he studied, what he's done and you go, he's a financial nerd. Like how many CFOs, do you know, you're going, Oh, he's going to, you know, he's hiring everybody else out and just watching the numbers and the metrics. He's just like, if you don't hit my metric, I'm going to find you know someone what, else though? to do it. You know what? I got to tell you something, though. I, I get it from everything you said. Don't you think he would have learned a little bit more about football just being around Sean Payton in his first couple of days, in the meetings, you know, being around? They don't have a deep knowledge of football, period. And then you just want to wash your hands and give it away to somebody? You missed a learning opportunity, too. What is it really like in the first couple of days when you make a coaching change? What is it really like when you get – uh, defensive coordinators. Who are the defensive coordinators? I mean, you missed out an opportunity, not that you can't catch up a little bit, but you just missed out an opportunity to learn a little bit more when the opportunity presented itself. And symbolically, you missed out on an opportunity to show how strong would that have been? This is more important than me playing golf at Pebble Beach. And while it might be superficial and who gives a crap, listen, man, tell me when small details do matter, okay? Tell me when they do matter, because essentially life is a bunch of small details. And you know what accountability really is? Accountability equals sacrifice. Throwing big gobs of money on something is not a sacrifice depending on the bigger gob of money you already have. Oh, yeah. You know, I rolled my eyes about, oh, they spent $400,000 to put new turf in. They had now, to, though. They spent $100.4 million in stadium improvement, and the turf for the last game was 0.4. Yeah, to me and you, it would be cool. But for somebody with his type of wealth, it's really not a big deal. 
he paid like a hundred grand for a bunch of engineering students to to watch a football game in Texas from School of Mines. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, how much extra money? I'm glad. Hey, listen, by the way, I am glad all the world's problems are solved if we're paying for engineering students to go on a road trip. Yeah, I mean, uh, holy cow! Thank God that happened. So, so I'm looking for meaningful, and meaningful to me means personal, and personal to me means sacrifice. Listen, you can fix a lot of problems throwing money at it. Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds still don't know crap about soccer, and their team's doing really well. You know what their payoff is? A documentary, and they sit in the owner's box while everybody cheers for them. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> they still don't know more about soccer. You know, they're not, but they got the most money, and they're in a place where money fixes the problems, and perhaps, perhaps the Broncos are too. But I'm telling you, this is a light switch philosophy. This is not how it's being done with another set of billionaires that really know sport, sports ownership, and that's the Cronkies. The Cronkies have spent their entire lives in sports ownership, and look what they've done to develop the Nuggets and the Avalanche. The Rams, the Rams, they are going light switch. They did go light switch with the Rams. They did. But they, um, they, had, an op, they had a window of opportunity, and it's hard to, you know, they, they struck when the iron was hot. They did, and it paid off. But, you know, we'll see what happens now. I mean, they had a terrible year this year, and we'll see where it goes. So, listen, man, um, it's the NFL. Nobody has any patience. You got to turn everything around within a couple years. And it is really remarkable to consider. Only the Broncos and the Jets have not made the playoffs for the last seven years. The Jets have missed it 12 years in a row, okay, 12. And the Jets right now clearly are angling for that light switch to get Aaron Rodgers because they're so desperate. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll just go back to where I think they're more tight-lipped now that they have a – with the Broncos' ownership being the backgrounds they have, they're just – they don't need the media attention. They're not trying to stir things up. They work behind the scenes, whether it's for the new stadium. And I think with the Sean Payton hire, like you're talking about, like the culture – I, all right, let me time out real quick. Yeah, yeah. We both agree they should have a new stadium, right? Absolutely. Okay, fair I'm enough. not even from here. I've been here only eight, eight, nine years. Fair enough. If we don't care about the developments of a new stadium, will you um, will you agree with me two years from now? You can bother me on a Sunday two years from now. <laughs> I'll bother you. Yeah, I'll bother you. Yeah. I'll put it two on Two years camera. from now, if we don't hear anything, can we agree that it's a toy it's not really, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's a toy. Now, you can take care of a toy. You can treat a toy really well. But there's a difference between, you know, something that you really care about and a toy. Yeah, I would say two years is probably a fair assessment to actually hear, like, more murmurs of it where, like, there's – the difficult part is, like, when they start doing the drawings and all that stuff, everyone's got NDAs if they want to keep the project. So right. no one's talking. And, I mean, and we already know how they handled the coaching search. They didn't talk. They kept it tight-lipped. So sort of. We 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 found out. I found we we all found some stuff out before it came out. Yeah. You, okay. sort of. So so is it frustrating for you? There's new ownership now. All of a sudden, like all your all your people that used to you know tweet out to you, or, you know, give you your sources. Did they all have to change now? They turn over as well. Oh no! You keep you keep working at it, my man. <laughs> you keep you keep you keep working, and and I'll tell you something. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. Who just wants to tell me stuff? That I don't even try to, to get. Oh, it no! I, hey, hey, brother. There's yeah. a there's another reason I give out my phone number. <laughs> I can imagine. I can give you some inside scoop on junior high basketball. Yeah. Well, you know what's so funny? Like I found out what I found out. Peyton Manning stuff. 
Yeah. I found out about a secret meeting at Cherry Hills Golf uh, Club from like uh, uh, a kitchen worker at, at the club because he had my phone number, it was, which was really cool. And uh, I found out um, information about um, uh, Randy Gregory, his surgery that they were trying to keep quiet from somebody who had access to the building who normally wasn't there. You know, I've, I've gotten tipped off on some, I got tipped off to a, a DUI from Ty Lawson back in the day, just from a, from a listener who, um, who was a police officer who happened to, to know that uh, Ty Lawson had gotten in trouble. You know, so people can't keep their mouth shut. No, they if, can't. If, if, they're, if they're really that far down the line and they've picked out land and they're buying, trust me, we'll know. We'll know yeah. in a couple of years. I would say two years. I would say it's a fair time to where, like, at least you'll hear stories of them planning. And Do you think they will? I, I think they're 100% going to build new, knowing that it was like eight to 10 years out on the lease. And it takes, like when I, because right. before Here's I called you, I bet you. Here's what I bet you. Okay, I'm listening. I bet you they don't build new, but, but they will, there'll be a couple things that happen uh, because Kroenke also owns Elitches. Yep. So I think he's going to level Elitches. Oh, and right. I think they're going to build a new practice facility for the Avalanche and the Nuggets. And hopefully it's a multi-use thing for the community as well. And I, I think they're going to build um, entertainment, apartments, how all that. So I think it's going to become an entertainment lifestyle district where Elitch is right now. Next like the McGregor Square. Yes. Well, hold on. I think they're going to have a whole thing there. I think they're going to McGregor Square the parking lots next to Empower Field. Do you know where they have like the um, the the right miniature, by Metro? The miniature stadium that's in the footprint of Old Mile High in I the parking so. lot there. Yep. I think they're going to build. Listen, the stupidest thing in parking is flat parking without you know a garage. Correct. I mean, why why have one car take up this much space when you could have fifty cars taking up you know space oh, that goes going ver- up going vertical. Yeah, it's not it's not great for tailgating, obviously, but but it would allow you if you see McGregor Square and hey, you gotta give the Rockies some sort of credit, all right? I mean, they have they have built a wonderful stadium that you don't need to touch at all. The rooftop idea was genius, and McGregor Square, if nobody's ever been there, is I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's just really, really great. So I think they will do a McGregor Square type of thing outside of the stadium. I think there'll be a full, like, new district of downtown next to Ball Arena that may be in partnership between the Cronkies and the Walton Penner Group. And essentially, you're going to get darn close to putting a roof on top of Empower Field. I know they have designs on it, and I know they're making the improvements. And don't forget, they're building the scoreboard up, right? Mm -hmm. They're not building it wider. They're building it up. Is that possible if you build it up? It could connect with some sort of roof in the future. And I think it will. That's, I still think they can throw that hundred, like you said, a hundred million dollars. These guys is a bad Russell Wilson, like a third of the <laughs> Russell Wilson, bad contracts. And so it's still, I think that it's right now. It's one of those where, I mean, you go like, well, what would you do if you were the ownership? I remember you throwing that out on the air the other day. It's like, I would have my minions searching the area to go. If we were going to do this, what are my options? What are my budgets? And because just like anything else is like with them putting the teams in out, the NFL putting the teams in LA the, every year they waited, it got more expensive. Yeah. And it's, I don't care what you say with costs. Like every year you wait, even in the Denver, Colorado area, mm-hmm. it's going to get more expensive. Well, I'll tell you this. I think they're probably behind on everything because they, there's no way 
the Walton Penner group thought they would have to deal with all the crap they're dealing Correct. with. Correct. Yeah. There's no way. And uh, I am positive he's spending much more time around the facility than he ever dreamed he would have had to. I, I promise you they were humiliated getting crushed in the house of their cousin in L.A. <laughs> with the Rams on the Christmas Day Massacre. Um, and the embarrassment of Randy Gregory fighting people after the game, Dalton Reisner and Brett Rippon getting in their shoving matches. Uh, really questionable, by the way, rumors about what was happening the night before in terms of perhaps being a little bit too loose with the coaching staff. I mean, there were some serious problems in that department. And I think this has been an incredible time waste um, from what they, they originally thought they would have to deal with. And so they are, and I really do think, listen, man, you don't play at Pebble Beach without practicing, okay? You know, if you're an amateur, I don't care how many, how many millions you have. And Greg Penner played in that event. And sure, maybe there's some networking going on. Yeah, okay. But as, as amateur golfers, how many times are ESPN cameras turned on you? Uh, the answer is never. And that's why you spend probably, I don't know, probably six or seven months, if not the entire year, really prepping for that. I oh, mean, yeah. you don't want to be embarrassed on that one. Do you know how much time and work it takes to be a good golfer? Never mind if you and I, can you imagine if you and I? Knew, I can barely hit it straight off a of Top Golf without hitting another pedestrian. Yeah, but what, what would you be doing at Top Golf if you knew you were playing at Pebble Beach next year on TV? Oh, yeah. No, you'd I mean, I, I bet you things would get a little bit more serious. So, yeah, of course there was probably a, a little bit of, he wasn't going to miss Pebble Beach. No. And so you, you did have a deadline. I mean, we do got to get this crap done. Listen, th there's no conflict with this. He planned this a long time ago. It's in February. Who knew you'd have to replace a coach or it would take that long? I don't blame him whatsoever for having those plans in February. You should have been fine. It doesn't even conflict with the Super Bowl. It's it's during a time that, you know, it's a bye weekend. Like, seriously, there's no issues with it whatsoever. The problem was things just dragged on and on and on and on and on with this coaching stuff to the degree it was probably like, hey, George, Peyton, Get this shizzle done. And guess what? It actually wasn't done. It wasn't, not officially, but it was close enough. Close enough. I'm out of here. Let the lawyers, Richard Tato, everybody else deal with the details. He can just sign it on his own. You know, I'm getting a cocktail on the 19th green looking out at Monterey Bay Peninsula. I hope Sean's doing well. See you on Monday. <laughs> and that's the state of the Broncos right now. So you're talking to me about a stadium? Um, Let's see. They'd have to get much, much, much more serious about wanting to be owners of the team if we're talking about a stadium. And I don't, I just don't think they're there yet, at least. Maybe they will get there, but I don't think they're there yet. Here's my last point with why I think there's a stadium in the plans or in the, I'd say, let's say in the thoughts, because the plans, just, there's probably a business plan. He's a CFO. He's got a business plan. He's got a way he's doing stuff. He's methodical, I'm sure. So here's the other reason why I think is, Whenever you're coming into a new big organization, you're not trying to make waves right away. You want to, especially like you said, he does, he's not a football guy. I know people that get hired on as like C levels at 10,000 person organizations, and they take six months to a year before they're making big decisions because they want to learn the organization and they want to understand it from the inside out before. Because, like, the, the great the story of uh, it's a parable kind of going like if you went and bought a house out there in uh, Phoenix because you're like, I love Phoenix, I'm you know, you, you got kids possibly in the area out there. And I'll, you buy a house and there's this great big wall in the back. Like, if I knock this wall down, I'll be able to see the mountains and have a great view. And your neighbor's like, what are you going to do to keep the snakes and the animals out of your backyard? 
You're like, oh, I'm going to keep that wall up now. It's like, if you don't know why the wall was up first, it's like, you don't want to just be knocking stuff down because of something you want. And I give someone credit when they don't just go knock down walls right away to go, hey, I'm going to do this guns a blazing as they walk in the door. It's like, they want to understand the culture. They want to understand all the, the let, me check, let me check something with you. Because you yes. mentioned Strava and you mentioned cycling. So I'm going to guess you're either a cyclist or a runner. Yes, both. Okay. Have you ever run a marathon? A half. Okay, so have I. Don't ask when how I trained for it. What get... was your first marathon? Do you it remember? Ma- it was a half marathon. It took me like longer than it should because I didn't really train. For... I no, signed no, up like a week before. A marathon. I've not done a full marathon. I'm I'm 6'3", almost like 250. I'm running a full one. Okay, okay. So for, for you, a half marathon was a big goal. Okay, fine. When you finished your first half marathon, did you have a moment, first of all, like, wow, I did it. You know, congratulations to me. But did you have a weird feeling of like, What's next? Shortly thereafter, finishing the marathon, half marathon. No, my legs were cramped. Like, yeah, like working on a Gatorade. Like that was my, like. You didn't have kind of this empty feeling of like, well, now what do I do? Because it took so much to lead up to it. Like oh, maybe no, the no. day, a day later, or two days oh, later. Okay, so you gotta understand how I did this. I was I lived in North Carolina for a while. I moved up to Ohio to help my friend start a business. I was living in his basement, and it's if you ever been to Toledo, Ohio, I love. I mean, it's where I grew up. Not a lot, not a lot to do. So I'm like, I don't have a lot of money. What do I do? I mean, I left Ohio like LeBron for less money. So, so I started running because it's cheap. And right. I, like, I need to stay in shape. So I got to where I was running eight, nine miles at a time. And then there you go. on a trip to the grocery store, I see a flyer. Hey, there's a half marathon next week. I should try this. Right. So I, I didn't train. Gotcha. So it's not like I'm going like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, build. Gotcha. So when you say like, hey, what's the next? It's like, well, my big goal now is I, I want to ride a century ride on my bike. Like I've gotten okay. the 50, 60 mile rides. And you okay. go, oh, now I want to, but I'm going to cheat. I'm just going to do Platte River, like from River Point to Chatfield and back like eight times or whatever. No, you are not. It's, are it's you the really? flattest ride. And it's, I want to get it done first. Then I'll be like, okay, now I'll do like a few laps around 470. I could, I could not, uh, uh, that's a funny story. So I ran a marathon and I was in really good shape a long time ago. And I trained with Adam Schefter while he worked for the Denver Post. And okay. he was on my show at KVPI. And Adam just refused to, he, he lived near City Park. So he yeah. would just run around City Park. So if I do three mile, it's one. Seven mile, he'd do two. Ten mile, he'd do three. And then he, he didn't like getting out in the cold. So he'd just go on a treadmill. So we did a, a 20 mile training run, which is like, you know, a big deal for marathon. You know, you try to do a 20 miler like a month before the marathon. So I ran with Adam Schefter from, and he technically he should have been fine because he was 16, 17, 18 miles. Like doing a 21, 22 mile run should have been actually in line, line with his training. But we ran, we ran from uh, like Cherry Creek Mall um, to Littleton out university to 470 and back. Okay. And that was like 21 miles. And I was in really good shape at the time. And I was like, oh, that, you know, that feels good. We got to about Bonnie Bray on the way back, about two miles away. <laughs> Adam was, was dying. He was dying because his training was so kind of bizarrely, you know, small. It was yeah. so kind of weirdly fixed. And so I was like, well, this isn't good. The marathon, you know, is, you know, it's rolling hills. It was the Boston Marathon. Oh, geez. And yeah. And you can get into the Boston Marathon through sponsor exemptions. A ton of people do. Most people have to qualify. But if you raise money, and that's what we were doing, we raised money and we got in. We got a number. The whole thing. 
So um, day of the race comes and it's ridiculously warm. I mean, it's like for the Boston Marathon, which I've been lucky enough to run four times, it, it was ridiculously warm. So I see Adam at the start and we weren't going to run together. Running together with a person, it's, you know, it's it's not the greatest thing to do. It's hard to keep up. You know, you don't, why bother with it, right? Don't worry, that way. It. It's not worth it. I'll see you at the finish line. So I look at Adam and we had a, uh, a sponsorship through uh, a running store that had given both of us, including Adam, like winter gear. Because I don't forget, Adam was just running outside of City Park over and over. But this is thick Colorado winter, you know, we're talking top to bottom. I mean, it's, but it's like, it's like 80 degrees. Like it's like absurdly warm for April in Boston. And I'm like, I see Adam and I go, are you running in that? And, and he goes, yeah, because I'm used to doing it this whole time. I go, yeah, Adam. But I mean, like, it's, you know, it's really warm. I mean, that's, that's, no, 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 I'll be fine. All right. I run the race. I run my best marathon, 403, which for me in Boston was unbelievable. It was great for me. For me, it was fantastic. Just missed out on four hours, but all right. I don't see Adam at the finish. All right. You know, I think he beat me. I think he's in better shape than me, that he he beat me. And then I just don't see him, period. I text him. I don't hear from him. And I'm like, geez, all right. You know, that kind of sucks. I want to see him at the end, but my parents are there and I I just got to go. That sort of thing. I hear from Adam the next day. He collapsed around mile 16 or so and was in a tent for dehydration. Unbelievably, he got to the finish line, which is a miracle. On his flight back to, to, to uh, DIA, they had to have an ambulance ready for him at the tarmac because he had, he had just collapsed on the airplane. He went right from the tarmac at DIA to, to Rose Medical Center and spent like a night getting fluids and, and hydrating himself again. So... Um, I, I guess my point to the story is you got to be a little flexible in life. You can't be you can't be so rigid with things. And uh, and I forget even why I started that story. It's my favorite Adam Schefter story, though. It's <laughs> an incredible. That's a, oh, my, oh, I know what the story. I know what the point was. I know what what's next. I he didn't care about what's next. He was like you. He was like you. Yeah. He was amping up for a goal without wanting to do that goal again. It was just like like I you go bungee cord jumping one time. And I'll, I never have to do it again. And, and so, you think that's what the Penner Group did with the Broncos? Okay, we own the Broncos. Finally, yes. we own an NFL team. Yes, I, yes, I, exactly. Thank you for helping me get to my point. It's okay. But, but that's 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 exactly what I think it was. I, I call it the what about Tuesday scenario. Like if you have a big project or something planned for Monday, right? And it's like you spend all weekend, right? And Monday comes and the, you know, ah, Monday, you know, ah, I did it. What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday? What about Thursday? And for the Broncos, it just feels like they never thought about Tuesday. They were just thinking about Monday. They, they were just thinking about your half marathon. They were just thinking about Adam Schefter somehow, whatever way, just getting to the end. And, and when, you, when you just don't think deeply about things, they don't mean that much to you. It's the person that's been planning the run for the Boston Marathon or that half marathon who'd been really training, or Tepper who bought the Panthers because he owned 10% of the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Pat Bowen who had to really, it was a miracle how he came up with the money, borrowing it from friends and family and that sort of thing. It, it is Jerry Jones. If you don't like him, fine. But don't tell me he doesn't then think about buying the Cowboys his entire life. And I, I think you have an ownership group that's not thinking about Tuesday. And now they're stuck because Monday sucked. And they didn't think they'd have to worry about Tuesday. You didn't have to worry about running another half marathon, right? No. Now you're thinking about you're thinking about uh, um, a um, uh, what do you call it? a century ride. Yeah. 
and I've done a century ride. I'll just give you just a little piece of my advice. Yeah. Broaden your horizons, my friend. You can't just run the same, you know, eight miles up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. It's the level. I mean, that actually, I hate to be a dick here, but that doesn't count. How does that not count if you're on your bike for a hundred miles? Be because it's 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 too much on the surface. You're not understanding the deeper meaning of what it takes to actually accomplish that because you're not willing to make certain sacrifices. You're looking for a light switch. You're looking what, for the what, what if I'm willing to go up the Chatfield Res a few times to get some how many vertical feet out of a hundred do I have to have? Yeah, that, I mean, I think you're now you're like, thinking a little bit. You're thinking about suffering and earning it a little bit more. You know, I I, I give you a heck of a lot more credit for that than just going <laughs> in a circle a hundred times. <laughs> I'm not just riding around one of those roundabouts on the Flat River. <laughs> well, I mean, you're 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 talking about, I mean, uh, why not just get on a exercise bike a 24-hour fitness and run for ride for oh, other oh i got a bike down here yeah i got yeah i got the whole practice facility down. all right listen let me tell you something yeah. i've climbed uh i think 30 or so of the 54 14ers here in, yeah. in the state those are so terrible I've, I've climbed by myself and i've climbed with much better uh hikers and climbers than me i climbed with a, a buddy of mine scott and he was tremendous i mean his his fitness level ability on rock i mean it was just out of this world he would race to the top of this mountain and he wouldn't even take a picture he just raced to the top yeah. and then more or less go to the bottom. And I would ask him, well, what did you think of, what did you think of the hike? He's like, oh, it's, you know, it's good. It's all right. It's like, I still got 10 more to do. You know, there's something about the process of going through it and, and taking note of things and looking at things. And sometimes it's not a race and absorbing it and, 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 and working towards it to when you finally stand on that mountaintop, you have a, I think, in my opinion, a deep, deeper appreciation of what it took to get there in the first place. Absolutely. But the Broncos right now, Greg Penner, who is a triathlete, by the way, to, to, to me, this is just all about Monday, not about Tuesday. They never really thought about what it would take. They're not willing to really dive into the minutia of what it means to actually be an owner and really get into the how this is all happening. And I really got to tell you, you know, don't, don't do that for your 100-mile ride. It's Colorado. I mean, there's so many amazing ways to get in a hundred mile ride. Oh, like my, we have a great route. We go on like 470 up to like Golden and areas like that, and it's a lot. It's a fun ride up there. 470 or Cherry Creek. We ride a lot down to Franktown. All right. Well, there you go. Do that. <laughs> I'm just like I just or, or here's here's what I've done in that. I I listen. I want to do a century ride too, but um, I I I thought I'd be too bored just doing it on my own. Because yeah. I had done 50, 60 mile rides on my own, and the thought of even going another, you know, few hours, so I, I entered something, the MS 150, and oh, yeah. it went to it went to a good cause. So we ran, we rode like I don't know, 35, 40 miles one day, and then 100 miles the second day, and then a shorter amount of uh, have have an altruistic, have have another reason for doing it. Do it because it all goes to a charity, you know. Do it, do it for a reason that is um, better for everybody, not just you. You can share your accomplishments with other people. And I, I bet you get more out of it. I can I can appreciate that. I just want to get it done once. Like, it's not going to be the last time I do it. I think that's what you're missing is like, I just want to go, okay, I can do a hundred miles. Now it's like, okay, now I can do it here or somewhere else. All right. So that's, a, I think, I think the part you're missing there. And it's interesting that Penner is a triathlete and plays golf and does yeah. any work at all. <laughs> Have you, have, hey, have you ever done a triathlon? 
No, my brother does Ironman. So he just trained. He did his best one down. Was it Georgia or Florida in the last couple months? Okay. I went to I went to the Louisville Ironman with him once. I joked to be a spotter to make sure he didn't die. Is he a really nice guy? My brother? Oh, yeah. Does he have a family? Yeah, he's a stay-at-home dad. Stay-at-home dad. Gotcha. Because there's some way he's got to get that training in. Oh, I yeah. Mean, that training doesn't do itself. No, and he, All right. He, yeah. You know what? Because I was about to call him a complete narcissist for the time he would stay away from his family. But that's a good twist. You're not a narcissist as a triathlete if you're a stay-at-home dad. Well, yeah, that's... Well, like when the kids were growing up, he wanted like, well, what's the, I've told my friends that have like little kids that drive, you know, you love your kid, but you need a break. Yeah. It's like, go to the rec center, get a gym membership. They'll watch your kid virtually for free compared to any other daycare and <laughs> right. go walk on the treadmill and, and watch your show for all I care. Right, like, right, right, right. It's like, but you get a break, go, go sit in the hot tub, go do something at the gym. It's like, you don't have to like, I'm not saying, you know, but then my brother's like, oh, okay. And then. All of a sudden, this triathlete and Ironman stuff comes out. Like he's well, I did a triathlon uh, about a year or so ago in Lake Mead, and um, oh, Lake Havasu, not Lake Mead. Sorry. Okay, Lake Havasu, and um, listen, it was an Olympic distance, so it, it you know, and I want to build up maybe in a year to the um, half marathon. I want to do the one in Boulder maybe in August. We'll see. Okay. Um, I, a full Ironman to me is absolutely inconceivable at this moment. You never know. You know, you got to do one thing before you do another. But, but I do know what goes into it. And although I've done triathlons, I think I'm talking from experience. You know, you got to be thinking about yourself a lot to, to do that crap. The you know, when I, when I was getting ready for Lake Havasu, I was, uh, dude, I was training more than two hours a day every single day. Every single day, more than two hours a day. And some training days went as long as four to five hours, depending oh, yeah. on what I was doing and where I was doing it. And I, I had a really good result. I was really proud of the effort I put in. I did an awesome job. I suck at swimming. Holy cow. And let me let me tell you how hard I had to work to suck at swimming. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. But I'm a really I was a really good cyclist and I, I passed a ton of people on the bike. And then I was kind of mediocre on the run. I, I really kind of dominated because now I'm at sea level on the bike. Oh, and yeah. so I was just blowing fools away, especially on the hills. My my point is. You know, um, Greg Tenner, um, tough man, tough to be a great golfer and a triathlete and all that stuff and know the minutia of the team. It's not easy, man. It takes four, sacrifice. It and takes four a lot kids. of sacrifice. Plus four kids. His kids are out. They're, th that's interesting because they're empty nesters now. Their I'll last kid just, that. Okay. Yeah, their last of their four kids just went off to college. Okay. And which sure. makes me wonder, is this what it's all about? Is this is this filling a void that you have because now your kids are out of the house? You well, know? so that's but that's interesting knowing that he's a, a triathlete, he's a CFO type guy. So he's a very calculated and paid like if there's anything I know about Iron Man, especially Iron Man distance. Like when you say triathlete, like you said, you could do be doing sprints that are don't take terribly long, but they're more patient because mm -hmm. they understand it takes time to build up to where you want to go. Like I always joke, like because with coaching basketball and my brother's an Ironman. He's not an Ironman shape year round. No, he of course builds, not. He builds up to it. And just like, I don't expect right. basketball players, especially at a higher level to be in basketball shape year round. Yeah. It was, it was funny. Like Jamal Murray said, what a night he had last night. Oh, yeah. points. But he, a couple nights ago admitted there's still a tiny part of this game. That's not all the way back. That's rebounding. Cause he doesn't quite have the full confidence to go up strong amongst, you know, 
a lot of other guys where there's a lot of traffic. And he just flat out admitted that he's just not, you know, quite there. But he said, to, I asked him a question like, you know, where are you with checklists? And he goes, oh, I got a checklist. I got a checklist of a lot of things. So scoring 40 points was definitely on his checklist. And being a better rebounder is part of it. And I, I think Murray's like, you know, 95.5% of the way back, you know, oh, yeah. he's that far. So, um, but it is interesting to, to, to think like, what can you learn in increments? And it goes back to what I originally said. You know, it's a lot of small things that add up. Hey, listen, if you throw money at things, you can generally fix things, okay? But if you want to be great at things, you've got to be invested personally. And accountability starts with sacrifice. If you want to be great, and I can round this back. Are you in a house? Are you in a band, a cover band in your basement? Or are you a professional and you quit your day job? And frankly, Craig Penner is, he hasn't quit his day job. I mean, not even close. So listen. Can you win? Can you succeed? All right. But until the owner quits his day job and focuses on the Broncos, we'll see. I think you I'll, may- I'll, I'll, hey, I'll be happy to be wrong. But I don't know many people in life who are brilliant at something without their full focus on it. I think you made a good point where it went to hell quicker than they expected, which then all of a sudden they had to pivot to make changes with coaching and may- even make a decision about their GM. Did they? I'm sure they went through a process of like, are we going to keep Peyton or not? And so with all hey, that, listen, I can even go back. Like, why didn't Greg Penner go to the senior bowl? Why didn't he go? Why didn't he go like with the scouts? Why doesn't he find out what scouts do? Yeah. You know, I mean, when I started in radio, man, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing essentially what I wanted to do. But when I started, I was on at two o'clock in the morning, introducing Madonna records. I didn't <laughs> want to introduce Madonna and Bon Jovi records, but you know, that's what I had to do. I've, I've, I've worked in all sorts of formats in music radio, okay? Um, I did political talk. I did a sex talk show in Buffalo, which was actually kind of fun, but I didn't want to be a professional sex talk host. You know, it was, it was cool working with Dr. Jenny and all, and I'm sorry about all the uh, genital problems of the young teenagers of Buffalo, um, you know, in the, in the 90s. But listen, I didn't want to do that full time, but, you know, I mean... I mean, I don't know, man. You know, Elon Musk is an engineer, right? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, at least he can have the conversation with people. If Greg Penner was on this podcast right now, if he was here right now, do you think he would even know his roster? Seriously. I actually think knowing, like knowing he's the CFO background, because he'd probably know their salaries or something like the cost. He wants to know, (laughs) like, like, like knowing, like I, knowing some of the CFOs I work with, <laughs> it's like they're very detail oriented, but they're also very methodical. They're not like, they're not like the Elon Musk CEO buy Twitter and fire 80% of the workforce day one and just deal with the lawsuits later. Do you know why I'm not a great drummer, even though I play drums? Rhythmically challenged. Nope. I got that. I don't uh, want to spend the time practicing single stroke rolls. Oh, those! I played the drums like in sixth grade. Okay. I don't want to do it. I just want to be loud and have fun. Yeah. But if I wanted to be a great drummer, I would practice more, much yeah. more. I would now, it's not that I'm not curious about it. I am curious about it. Um, I watched a lot of uh, drumming videos, probably way too much than I should. But if, but there's a difference between being really interested in something and, and really, you know, really striving to do it. Because you know what? I know it would suck for me to practice single stroke rolls because I would go onto these YouTube videos 
and I would, I, I think I'd quit drumming, you know, because I would be so depressed because I'm, I'm so bad at it. And, um, and I just, I really, honest to God, I just don't believe you can run a successful organization without at least having a deep curiosity about every part of that organization. And, and I think, you know, um, recently Greg Penner missed out on an opportunity. That's it. It's small, but I think a lot of details add up to big problems. And then you turn around at the end of the day and you're like, uh, oh, what happened? Like you always hear baseball, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But then you turn around in July and you're like, oh, we're 26 games out of first place. The season's over. And you're like, well, what happened to the marathon? <laughs> uh, what happened to that? And it's because a lot of small things just accumulate. That's all. So listen, man, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I certainly don't wish for bad things to happen. I want them to be successful. I want Greg Penner to be successful. I just think they're going about it the wrong way. What can I tell you? Okay. If, if I was Greg Penner, if I was advising Greg Penner, I would have fired George Payton. I would have given Russell Wilson a post-June 1st designation. I would apologize to the fan base. I would be at the freaking Senior Bowl and the Blue and White Shrine Bowl, and I'd, be, I'd have an interim coach, an interim coach, because I make it clear to the fan base, this is about drafting Caleb Williams or Drake May. And if I was Drake Penner, I would know who Caleb Williams and Drake May actually were. North Carolina and USC. Do you think Greg Penner knows that? I mean, I hope he does, but I don't know if he does. And I would just be at the office learning the most I can because the fans deserve that. They don't, they don't deserve an absentee owner. The one great thing about Pat Bowen more than anything is he was present. He was always present until his health went away. So if you want to tell me why it's not a big deal, the guy was playing golf, I'll shrug my shoulders and say, sure. A lot of CEOs get deals done on the golf course and can make connections. But I'm going to guess most of those CEOs are experts at what they do already. I'm going to guess Larry Ellison's first day on the computer beat wasn't three months ago. You know, so perhaps they've earned that right. Hey, what rights have the Broncos earned to do anything in the past seven years? But we're taking a day off on Thanksgiving to go base the turkey. We're having field day on our last OTAs. We're, 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 we're standing on third thinking we hit a triple and we were just born there. We're, we're taking advantages of past histories. We've really accomplished nothing. Nate McKinnon said when he was asked about his career, I haven't done shit because he hadn't, because he hadn't won a championship, even though he was regarded as one of the top five players in the NHL. Sorry for cursing on your podcast, but that's literally what he said. So again, I kind of go back to this. And if you want to just say, Oh, you're a blabbermouth and you're loud and you're complaining and you're negative, all that. I would just shrug my shoulders and say, how is any great thing ever built? And if it doesn't come without sacrifice, to me, that's accountability. And if it's all done and you'd rather be playing golf, welcome to another year where you'd rather be doing something else. I think there's two quick takeaways is I think most people, when they look at the Broncos, they look at a single, it's a single variable problem and it's a multivariable equation. And so there's a lot more going on. Like you're saying, there's all these little things like when they had their, you know, summer camp to whatever else, you know, thanks the day after Thanksgiving off was a weird one, especially. No, Thanksgiving itself. Thanksgiving, which sorry. Is a, which is on a Thursday, obviously, and is a work day for most. By the way, one thing I would have done too as an owner real quick, yeah, I yeah. would have come in day one and said we're building a new stadium. Zero doubts about it. We love our stadium, but we understand the way the NFL is absolutely positively. Uh, building a new stadium is a big deal. And what do you think? They just bought the Broncos in August. 
You don't think they were amping up to buy the Broncos for a year or so? You don't think they had the ability to really think these things out? Of course they did. But they came out with a mealy-mouthed answer about eight to ten years on the lease, which tells me they're not serious about it. They weren't there the day that uh, Sean Payton was signed. It tells me he'd rather be playing golf. It's just an organization that would rather be doing something else instead of the hard things, instead of the sacrifice. So, All right, so two years from now, we'll say yeah. two years, mid-February. Yeah. I'll get you a really large coffee if you're still drinking coffee. Like, yeah. Bigger? Bigger. Uh, maybe like one of those, like, I'll get you one of those, like, you know, like where you can like serve the whole, like, it comes in a bag in the box and everything. I need it to be the same size as the Chinese spy balloon. See, no, so I was going to ask you about that. I had two f random questions, and I appreciate you going really long with me more than uh, we originally planned. So I want to say thank you for that. You got it. And so with the spy balloon, was Derek Wolf not with you the last two days because he was getting his license to hunt weather balloons? Like, what was? I think that's the right note for us to say goodbye on. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> one final question, if you don't mind. <laughs> yes, what? What's your favorite conspiracy theory? I have zero conspiracy theories. I have no I have no conspiracy theories. I am a man of science and leisure. <laughs> My right. favorite conspiracy theory. All right, I gotta think about that for a second. My favorite conspiracy theory. So probably I, something I created. Yeah. Probably. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so um, you I'll give you I'll give you one that I just had recently that was that was I thought wicked fun as a conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah. Um my conspiracy theory recently, and I don't think I was right, but there was enough out there that I was close to being right, is that the Broncos were going to do a deal with Sean Payton that was going to get done on Tuesday, which it was, but I had this theory on Monday and Tuesday morning because the Nuggets were playing the uh, the Pelicans, oh, and yeah. the Pelicans GM used to be Mick Mickey Loomis, who's also the GM of the Saints. So in my little conspiracy theory, uh, Greg Penner, who I did not know was playing golf at the time the next day, but Greg Penner and Mickey Loomis were meeting in Stan Kroenke's luxury suites up top of Ball Arena to figure out the deal for Sean Payton. So that was my latest. And you know what? It turns out Mickey Loomis was in town. How funny was that? Um, so um, I might do a little more digging on that because maybe Mickey Loomis was around talking to uh, George Payton and Greg Penner on that particular day. But that's a very minor league uh, conspiracy theory. So I, I, I guess I don't go really much bigger than that. See if someone you gave your number out to will confirm that one there for you. Yeah, you never know. You never know. All right. I will. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And good luck with the weather balloon chaos next week. Okay. Forks up. <laughs>